lead teaching pastor Jeremy will be back next week, so really excited about that. And uh, we got to see him this Thursday at a little leadership meeting, and he's not very rested, so I wouldn't call it a sabbatical with two baby twins, but he will be back nonetheless. And I think Reggie's happy about that. Um, so Acts 1-8 is what we're going to be in, and you'll see kind of how the Uganda piece, how I got asked to talk to you today um, about Acts 1-8. So we'll read Acts 1-8 together, or I'll read it to you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for us here in Augusta, Georgia, Uganda is pretty much the ends of the earth for us. So a uh, drum I always like to beat as much as Jason likes beating the let's go canoeing drum. I want to beat the Uganda drum again and again, and I'm going to get a chance at the end of this sermon. So I'm excited about that. So bear with me and we'll get there. And uh, you'll have to hear, hear about Uganda again, and I won't stop beating that drum till God no longer wants me to. But uh, So let's pray really quick, and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this morning, for the incredible privilege that it is to be able to open up your word and teach from it. I just think of the time when you, Jesus, were in the temple and teaching out of Isaiah and speaking about yourself, Lord. What a um, lineage we have, Lord, to be able to speak the same words that you spoke and to just fall and stand in awe of you, Lord. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us this morning, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, encourage us, Lord, help us to be on mission, see what that's all about, Lord, and, and hopefully by the time we get out of here, we're going to be like lions, Lord, and um, just waiting to go and do what you've called us to do, Lord. We love you and thank you. pray that you be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, first thing I want to kind of, if we'll set the table, if you will, um, talking about one of the reasons why I came reformed, where became reformed, the well is part of the Acts 29 network. It's a, it's a reformed theology um, that we attest to. And one of the reasons that I came reformed had to do with this, this concept of mission and what that means. And, and we could go on for probably years and years talking about what it means to be reformed. Simply, simply put, God is sovereign. He's doing things. It's all about God. The Bible is about God. Yes, we're in it, and it speaks to our situation, but ultimately, the Bible is about Jesus and about God, and of course, there's more to it than that, but let's leave it there for now. And one of the main reasons that it turned me on, the, the theology, the Reformed theology, was the old Reformers, the missionaries, as they went out, they had this understanding of God was calling a people to himself, and that grew out of this understanding of what Reformed faith is, and so I'm going to take you through a couple of places and then show you that, and then we'll get into the, the, the meat of the sermon. So God is calling a people himself. Now, if I could ask you this morning, who, and don't say it if it's somebody next to you, who is the worst missionary ever, but had the greatest impact of all time? You don't have to speak it out loud. I would put out to you that it was Jonah, if you can remember Jonah. It's an Old Testament prophet. Um, pretty familiar story to most of us, but... I'll just walk us through a little bit of it and show you why he's the worst missionary ever, but had a great impact and what that means. So the first thing, Jonah is sitting there. God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go speak to this city and tell them they're going to be destroyed if they don't repent. And what is Jonah's first response? Bam, he runs as far away from that city as he can get. Now, granted, the city was kind of an enemy of Israel at the time, but regardless, God told him to go somewhere and he went the exact opposite way and ran. So a lot of incredible things of God's sovereignty pulling him to that city, 
take place in the book of Jonah. And then finally he gets to the city. And what does the Bible say about this city? It says that it was a three days walk just to get through the breadth of the city. So only God knows how long that would take to get through the whole city and speak to everybody in the whole city. But if you just wanted to walk straight through it, it would take you three days to get through it. And then what does it note that Jonah did? He went in for one day's walk. So not even a third of the city. He goes in and then he speaks the clearest gospel ever spoken in the Bible. Not really. He says five words in Hebrew. The five words are, another 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. That was his word for the people of Nineveh. So this dude ran from God. God finally brings him to this place of submission to go into the city. He only goes a third of the way into the city, so at best talk to a third of the people, probably not even that much. And then he only says five words to them that the Bible records, and maybe he said more, who knows. But the Bible records five words, and what I think the purpose of that is, is that God's sovereign. You know the result of that terrible ministry? He, firstly, there's these dudes on a boat that he was with, and this whole boat of pagan worshipers, they get saved, they believe in God, and then this whole city of the Bible says of 120,000 plus gets saved by this half-hearted, running away from God, five-word ministry of Jonah. Now, I don't say that that should be our ministry, that's what we should attain to, to just be like Jonah, and I don't think any parachurch organization or us in general as we're going off to Uganda would say, yes, let's, let's uh, shape our ministry after Jonah. But the point is, is that God is sovereign. And regardless of us, God is doing a work. And hopefully that's encouraging to you. And then first thing we're going to read together is in Revelations 5, 9. Um, should be up on the boards for you. It says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And here's where we get it. Every tribe, from every tribe and language and people and nations. You see what's going on there? This is the end of times. This is when we're all going to be with Jesus. And who's going to be there? There's people from every tongue, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, all going to be there together. And you can read the rest of the verse, but that, that's the part I wanted, I wanted to hit on. That all these people are going to be there together. So what does that mean for us? And what did it mean for the Reformed missionaries as they went out with this crying call that God is calling the people to himself from every corner of the world, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So no matter where we go, we can't fail. Because wherever we go, God is calling a people to himself. And they're going to be there. We have the confirmation and revelation at the end of time, worshiping Jesus all together. So that is kind of our calling card. And why I go to Uganda, why I hope that you guys in the future will go with me, is that God is calling the people to himself. And we can't fail in that mission because God is doing it. And it's his mission. So a little bit of an outline of what we'll get into is that initially God has a mission and it's his mission. God provides the power to accomplish his mission. God has a strategy for his mission. And we'll talk a little bit about why you should go, I should go. And what does God's overseas mission look like here at the well, namely Uganda. So get pumped. It's going to be good. So firstly, God has a mission. In Sunday school class, God's mission ends and begins with who? Jesus. So if you've ever been in Sunday school class, you know there's two answers, Jesus or Bible, and this is the Jesus one. So God's mission ends, it begins, and it ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then Jesus passes that, that ministry on to us, and we're going to get into that later. But um, 
Firstly, we'll look in our verse here in Acts 1.8. He says, you will be my witnesses. And we've been breaking that down for the last five weeks or so of what that looks like. So we're on mission. We're to be witnesses. And Matthew 28.20, which we spent a lot of time on previously to Acts 1.8, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So we're witnesses to what Jesus has done, what he's doing, what he will do. And we're to go and make disciples of all the nations. But to what end? Why are we supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? What's the point? Is it just to save people from hell? Is that the purpose for us going out? Is that our motivation? Because people are going to die and be separated from God forever so they can, we want them to be saved from hell? And, and certainly that has a part to do with it. We definitely want people to enjoy God forever. But read with me, and this is our next thing that will be up on the, the screen. In Romans 1, 3 through 5, it says, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for us to be look cool in the world, so that we could just say we have an awesome church. No, that's not what it says. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And this is that reformed he's getting tied in there again it's all about god and that's good news god is about bringing him glory he's about bringing his name glory and we could go into that and that would take a while and be a, a pretty long side trail if you want to talk about that talk to reggie he gets pretty pumped up about god being all about god's glory um but suffice it to say that in the end it's not about us it's about god and his glory and what he's doing and so as I was thinking about this and thinking about what it, what it means to be on mission in my life and what my experience has been in the past, um, and how this speaks to that is that we're not salesmen. We're not selling some kind of goods that may or, not, may or may not be good. Uh, we are selling nothing. We are proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. We're not salesmen. And, and I know I've felt that way, and, and we'll talk about that, break that down a little bit more. And maybe you have too, and hopefully we can get through that. But we're not salesmen, but we're to be joyful heralds proclaiming the good rule of Jesus. I'll say that again. We're to be joyful heralds proclaiming the good, good rule of Jesus. But if Jesus' rule isn't good to you, if he's not the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life, what does your witness look like? And I leave that with you. But I fear, and in my life I've experienced this, in my friend's life, and certainly in the church today that we're in this morning here at the well, I fear this is the reality for many of us. We don't experience Jesus' rule as good, so we dutifully pray, we dutifully read our Bibles, we dutifully go to church, sometimes we'll dutifully serve one another, and we may even dutifully be on mission. But... And if, and if that is true, if that's your experience, and it's been my experience in the past, so I know God says all our experiences are common. Um, if that's true for you, then you probably feel like a salesman when you tell others about Jesus. And I've been there before, and I'll probably be there again. But how do we combat that? And that's the point I want to get to is, and this is kind of a mantra that God's placed over my heart ever since I was really young in the faith, I picked up this book, and maybe you guys have read it before, I don't know, by John Piper. It's called Desiring God, and it just blew my world apart of what I thought I knew about God. But what I took from that and what's 
stayed with me forever, is the battlefield for our hearts is joy. What are we going to find our joy in? And one of the best guys who always can break this stuff down and say it in better words than I could ever say it is C.S. Lewis. And he put it this way, and I'm paraphrasing. This isn't the exact quote. But he said, We are like children playing in the gutter with mud pies because we don't understand the offer of a vacation at sea. What that means is that we're settling for far, far less than God has for us. And my question to you then is what keeps you experiencing keeps you from experiencing true joy in Christ? What are you settling for? What are the idols of your heart that you say, I can't live without this or that? Is it, in my case, my wife and my children? If I don't have them, then am I not fully satisfied? Uh, for you, are you, we have some great musicians here. If your arm was paralyzed and you can no longer play the guitar, is Jesus enough? If you're a painter and you're artistic and something happened to your mind and you couldn't do that anymore, is Jesus enough? Uh, all the things that we have out there, the different things and idols that we have for me, working out, I love working out, I love running. What if my legs gave away? If I got paralyzed, would Jesus be enough? And that ultimately is what's keeping us from experiencing true joy in Christ, whatever that thing is in your life, and settling for mud pies instead of the offer of vacation at sea. And, and when we say that, the offer of vacation at sea, the point is not that life is easy once you become a Christian. It's like a vacation at sea. The point is, is that we're settling for far less than God has for us. And if we're not experiencing Christ's rule is good, inevitably, our mission, our word that we're speaking out to the rest of the world, is going to look skewed because how do you tell somebody about a joy, about a vacation at sea, when your experience is mud pies? You're selling them goods that you're not even experiencing in your own life. And so, again, I'll just ask you, what's keeping you from experience true, experiencing true joy in Christ? If that's your, your story right now, if that's where you are, or if that's where you've always been, um, I encourage you to get into your word, to find that true joy in Christ. That's what God wants for us more than anything else. And if you need somebody to come along you, call me, call any of the pastors, call MC leaders, whoever you need to call, and we would love to walk through with you in that and to find the true joy in Christ. Because without that, it's, it's dutiful. And we are grudgingly going through the steps, if you will, of what it looks like and appears to be a Christian, but we're missing out on the true joy of what it is to be a Christian. So, firstly, God has a mission. It's namely Jesus. And our role in that is to joyfully proclaim his good rule. Secondly, God provides the power to accomplish his mission. Now, Ben did a great job in this a couple of weeks ago in explaining this. I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle and talk about something that doesn't get talked about a lot, a lot in the church, especially about the life of Jesus. And we cover so much about Christ and so much of his, what he's done and who he is in the Bible. But this thing we miss out on a lot, and it's the ascension of Christ. We talk about the birth of Christ. We talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, and a couple of those things even we have holidays for, and you know when they are. But the ascension gets left out, and I'm not too sure why that is, but the ascension is a huge deal. And if you wanted to read more about that, read about John 14 through 17-ish. But we're just going to take a snippet from there in John 16, 5 through 11. And it says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So this is Jesus. He's telling them beforehand, I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm saying these things to you. I'm not going to be with you for much longer. And they're sad about it, and rightfully so. Who wouldn't be? If you have Jesus right there with you, ministry's pretty easy when you got him right there. And, but he says, I'm going to go away, and they're sad about it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And this is so awesome. And what, like, you can never try to get Jesus into a box. Whenever you think you have him pegged down, he throws in something like this. Um, it's going to be better for me to leave you than to stay with you. Like, when does that ever work? Like, if I tell my family, I'm going to take off for a while, but trust me, it's going to be better that I'm gone. Um, maybe if I'm abusive or crazy or something. But um, in general terms, for us to leave the presence of the people that we love and the people that we're ministering with, it's not a good thing. But Jesus says it is. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So you're starting to see why the ascension matters. We'll keep going. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now here comes the good stuff. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So I'm trying to let that sink in for a little bit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Reggie spoke a couple of weeks ago about just go out there and tell your story. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Look, you don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to convince them that they're sinners. Not that you shouldn't try, but that's ultimately not your job. You don't have to convince them that they're sinners. You don't have to convince them of Christ's righteousness, and you don't have to even convince them that there's judgment coming into the world because that's the Holy Spirit's work. This is that reformed piece that I was talking about earlier. God is doing that. And does that mean we just go and do a Jonah and say five words and peace out and hope God does the rest? No. We're to work at it with all we have. But ultimately, God is moving and God is doing a work. And he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, which is pretty much the essence of sin, putting our faith in anything else. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So if his resurrection wasn't enough to prove Jesus who, who Jesus was who he said he was, he ascends to the right hand of the creator of the universe. If that doesn't give you the, yes, he was good, he was the king, he was the Messiah, I don't know what else will. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So hopefully you can see there with me, and, and I never pay too much attention to this either, so maybe you haven't either, but that the ascension matters because before Jesus ascended, ultimately, who or what embodied the gospel? Who embodied the mission of God? And again, Sunday school class, it was Jesus. Jesus embodied that. But in his earthly ministry, while he was on the earth, we never have recorded of Jesus being on the Mount of Olives and over here at the Sea of Galilee. We don't have him in different places. We have him putting on humanity and all that comes with that. And after his resurrection, some different things happen. But even then, we never see him in two places at one time. So the gospel, the good news, the proclamation of the kingdom was embodied in Christ and was at one place and one time, namely Jerusalem, um, as we're looking here. And it was embodied in Christ. But now with the ascension, and this is why, where it's big, the ascension happens and Christ unleashes a power on the world that the world has never known. Now there's not just one Christ running around, but there's, and this is scary, but there's a whole ton of disciples, little Christ, we're called Christians, that's what that means, 
going around to the ends of the earth proclaiming the good rule of Christ. And that's the call that we have. And uh, I say that's crazy and scary because look amongst us and look at me. Like how do we get that calling on our lives? But we do. We have the same ministry that Christ had when he came. We're not ultimately saving anybody. But we're proclaiming the same thing that Jesus did. And he gives us that. And we'll see here in a second that that's what he does. So before Christ ascends, embodied in Christ, Christ ascends and this power comes down on the earth that just changes everything, changes the whole world, and the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. That's why at that time, we're the ends of the earth here in Augusta, Georgia. Who would have thought as Jesus ascended and tells these guys, hey, I'm going up, Spirit's coming down, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm sure they had no idea they were coming to Augusta, Georgia at some point and to preach the word to us. And I was saved in Las Vegas, Nevada, of all places, so it even got there. So go figure. But... So God has a mission, namely Jesus. He, has, he provides the power to accomplish that mission, the Holy Spirit, and he has a strategy for his mission. And that kind of transitions that last point of the ascension into this. And his strategy is the church. The church is going to be what carries forth God's mission to the end of the age. And uh, one of the most comforting parts of that is that it's not just you. And I know I think this way a lot. When I think about being on mission, I think about me. And I got to be on mission. And I got to be on mission. But the Bible says that we got to be on mission. That we, as a community, are to be on mission. And this is funny, and I like this part. Um, as I was going through this, and God was just um, giving me different things and, and different ways of looking at things, I saw the, the, the guys, the disciples in Acts 1 there, as some good ultra-Calvinist brothers. And they're just standing there. They're thinking they got it, you know. We know that it's all about Jesus. He's going to do it. He's sovereign. He reigns. Yes. And so what did the disciples ask in Acts 1.6? Reggie talked about this for a little bit a couple weeks ago. Ultimately, the disciples say, all right, Jesus, we get it. We understand. It's all about you. So you, you restore the kingdom. You do it. It's your work. You do it. But Jesus, again, turning everything on its head, just like he does in our lives when we think we got him pegged down, he says, no, you. You're going to be the ones. You're going to be my witnesses. So the disciples thought, and these good, and we'll, we'll talk about them again, these good ultra-Calvinist brothers, yes, we get it. It's Jesus. And he says, no, you. You're going. Now read for me, and this is just, uh, or with me, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, and, and we're going to go through this nice and slowly because I don't want any of you to miss this. If you get nothing else, take this with you, church. This is something that probably we should be reading over each other all the time and definitely as much as we can here. The beginning will sound fairly familiar, but let's see what it transitions into. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Wow, good reformedness right there, right? Whatever we are, we're a new creation. Our old has passed away. Our new has come. All this is from God, yes. And we stand here at the well in Acts 29 all together and saying, yes, God is sovereign, and it's all from God. So it's all from God, and now here we go. This is, who through Christ reconciled me to himself. I mean, he reconciled Ben to himself. No, what does it say? He reconciled us to himself. Now get this, this is going to keep coming. He reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're sitting there in your seat feeling this great weight of, oh, how am I going to be on mission? Oh, I do feel like a salesman. This stinks. I don't know what to do. I can't do this alone. Well, you're not called to do it alone. We're to be on mission as a community. 
That's why we have missional communities. Go figure. So Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us, or God reconciled us through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So you see this, the mission? God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is what I was talking about, that it's all about Jesus. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now counting their trespasses against them, and now here it goes, this is the, the whammer. And if this doesn't hit your heart just and floor you, I don't know what will. And entrusting to us the message of recon- reconciliation. Just let that sink in for a second. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a member of the well, if you are a follower of Christ, what's been entrusted to you here then? The message of reconciliation, the same message that Jesus brought into the world, proclaiming the kingdom of God, has been entrusted to you. Not kind of handed over to you, but it's been entrusted to you to take forth to the ends of the earth. Church, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And because of that, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And going to that forever. But God making his appeal through us. Let that one sink in. So why I can come up here, and I'm not the most eloquent person in the world, as you've probably already been able to tell, but I don't come up here with my own message. And you and me, when we go out into the world, we don't go out with our own message. We've been entrusted with a message, a message of reconciliation, of a perfect and sovereign God coming down to earth, humbling himself, becoming a man, and dying for our sins, and so that we could have a right relationship with God again. And that's the message we take into the world. It's not my message. It's not the well's message. This is God's message, and he's entrusted it to us. If that doesn't empower you, I don't know what does. So uh, when, I, when I prayed earlier that we'd be lions leaving here, this is one of those things that should cause us to be like lions as we roar out of here, proclaiming the good news of Christ, humbly, surely, and gently, of course. But you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul said. He's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation to all who believe. And as we go and take our message out, don't be ashamed. Don't feel timid. People aren't rejecting you, Jesus said. They're rejecting him. So when we get ourselves out of the way, God is making his appeal through us. That's huge. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's our mission. Hey, You go out to your friend at your work or wherever, at school, wherever you go. Tell them your story, and I just implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, not on behalf of me. I have nothing really to say to you in and of myself, but in Christ, I've been given the message of reconciliation, and I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So hopefully, all those things that God has a mission that he empowers that mission, and that he has a strategy for mission, as crazy as it seems that he would entrust us with that mission, that informs our next point here. Why go? Why should you go? So we're going to go back to our ultra-Calvinist brothers there um, at the Ascension and see what happened with them next. What did the angels ask the disciples after Jesus had ascended? This is pretty funny. So Acts 1, 10-11. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold... Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So Jesus, as we read in John, 
gets them prepared, tells you, I'm going to leave you, but something so much powerful, more powerful is going to happen is the Holy Spirit comes out, comes down, and this gospel takes off and goes to the ends of the earth. That's going to happen. In Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you always. Go make disciples. All authority has been given to me. Yes. In Acts 1.8, he says, not me, you. And then so these guys that think they got it, it's all about Jesus. What is their response to when Jesus ascends into heaven? They just stay and look. And maybe that's, our, maybe that's where we are. And that is one of the, the things that can go wrong, if you will, and uh, when we misunderstand what Reformed theology is, is that we just stand there looking and waiting for God to do it because he's sovereign, because he's going to do it, because he's going to save people. Uh, but God says go. And don't, get this, don't miss this. The angels are rebuking the disciples at this point. They're saying, what are you doing? And they're almost kicking them. Go. The whole point, go. He said, go. What are you doing? Standing there looking into heaven. So this is, like I said, one of the things and the, the tensions that there is in the Reformed faith is that God is sovereign. It's his mission. It's his authority. It's his power. So why should we even go? Because he's going to save people anyway, right? Ask Jonah, you know. He just sat on the hill and waited for the people to die, and God saved all of them. But that's not the right response to that. And we're going to see what the right response to that. And I'll take you just through what God taught me, and hopefully by his grace he'll teach you here, um, is how I reconciled this tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And that's, that's a huge thing we need to wrestle with, especially in the Reformed faith. And I'll take you to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Have you ever spent any time with me uh, studying God's word or looking into, I don't know, ministry together? This is my life verse. I love this verse. It is, and it speaks so clearly to me about this tension and, uh, between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. But we'll go into it now. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. Oh, yeah, another big, big reformed jammer. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. So let's get that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. So there's a response to God's grace that does not take that grace in vain. We'll see what Paul's response is. But that also, on the other side, means there is a response to God's grace that does take that grace in vain. So Paul goes on to say, his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And that's not a prideful statement. And we'll see what it's rooted in. But the way that we don't take God's grace towards us in vain is that we go. And we give it all we got. Jonathan added another paraphrase. I won't get the, the actual quote right. But he said, I would rather burn the candle at both ends and live 50 years on fire for Christ than to trepidly live 85 years kind of half-heartedly for Christ. And I think that's the heart that we all need to have and the heart that, that Paul is sharing here. I worked harder than any of them. And our lives need to be spent for Christ. Uh, I heard it said once that when we're, you know, when we're worshiping and, and people are throwing their hands up, and, and I know this is personal and I'm not comfortable with that, whatever. But for the most part, those people that are throwing their hands up in the air, that are just relinquishing themselves to God and worshiping him, those are the same hands that have been 
in the trenches all week. The hands that are bruised, the hands that are marred, and they've given up, not given up, but they've gone and they've gone and they've got nothing left. And all they can do is say, Lord, in the midst of this week, in the midst of all the pain that I've experienced, in the midst of all the frustration in ministry, in the midst of my children going the wrong way, of my parents not understanding me, of sickness, whatever it is going on in our lives, you're enough. And those are those hands that get thrown up in the air. But that happens because those are the people that are doing this, working harder than any of them. And if we're not spending our lives, then our worship may look like this. I don't know. And maybe you're just comfortable with that, and that's fine. But I I submit to you that those hands that are thrown up in the air and that are just adoring Christ is just that. They've got nothing left. And throwing their hands up and praising God because he's worth it, no matter what, all the struggles that we're going through. And Paul also talks about it in another way. as a race. He talks about a race. And man, it was really cool. Archie and I uh, meet. We're in DNA group. And I said, man, that song Forever Rain is just awesome. I wish we would sing it this week. And we just sang it, man. So I was really pumped to hear that. Um, But it speaks so well into this race mentality that Paul's talking about. Paul says that we're all in a race, but how many people win the race? One person wins a race. That doesn't mean that only one of us is going to actually go to heaven or something like that. But the point is, is that you have a race to run, and you better run it, you know? Get out there and run your race. And if you see me standing on the sides looking up at the sky with my ultra-Calvinist brothers, then kick me and get me going. Encourage one another. Uh, Reggie and I, and we're going to do the Reggie run from now on on Saturday mornings. So if you want to run seven miles next Saturday morning, early in the morning, come to Reggie's house, and we'll do that. But we did it this last week, and this was the first time we really did it. And it was so encouraging not to be running by myself. So we're not at the same pace. We're not in the same race even. And, but every once in a while, we'd cross each other's paths, and we just, you know, pointed him, and he pointed me, like, yes, we're going. And he's still going, so I'm still going. I'm not going to let him catch me. And he's, I'm going to catch him, whatever. So we're, <laughs> we're doing that and encouraging one another. And then the the thing got over, and I'm telling you, I texted Reggie in the middle of the day, like, dude, I'm beat. I've taken like two naps. I can't get over this. Like, just totally dehydrated, wiped out. But that's a little bit of the picture that we have of what Paul's saying here. Run that race so that you got nothing left. And when we sang, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. That's the way we should be running that race. And I'll share this with you, and I'll try not to get teary, but whatever. I just got news that, that I'll be going to Afghanistan later this year to uh, defend our country. And as I thought about that and through that process and this, this whole concept of running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. The, the vision of my daughters on the day that I get to come back and when I see them at the airport and they come running up to me and I get to embrace them, that's the picture. That's what we're running to. So I have joy in this race that we're running is that Christ is waiting at the end, the finish line. And so when we fall over and we're running with everything we got, and I promise you, if you're going to be there that day, I encourage you and invite you all to be there that day when I get to return, come out and just to see my daughters, who cares about me, but watch them and watch the joy that they have to be able to come up and embrace me. That's the, the concept that, that is going on here is Christ is waiting for us at the finish line. And he's waiting to embrace us. So let us fall, run with all we got so that we got nothing left and we fall over the finish line. And Christ picks us up and looks into our eyes and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Is that not what we are longing for? That's what my heart's desire is. And I hope that's yours. And I hope some of this is uh, gearing you towards that. So that's the bulk of everything I wanted to say um, this morning. We'll talk a little about Uganda and wrap it up. And uh, that'll be that. So end of, the, end, of the earth, end of the earth ministry here at the well is Uganda. I'm the Uganda guy. And I am so pumped to be the Uganda guy. You can't even imagine. Like, I'll, You could be known and know me as a lot of things and have called me a lot of things. But if you call me the Uganda guy, that's pretty uh, high on the list of the things I've been called before. So I'm good with that. But the Uganda mission that we have is uh, earlier this year, I was able to go to Uganda. Um, and I went alone. And I hope that doesn't ever happen again. But I did. I went alone. And I met with this wonderful man, Pastor James, and the people of his church out there in Uganda. And this time, that time, the whole mission was to go and see where God would lead us, where God would put the well and strategically place us that we could make an impact on the end of the earth for us in Uganda. And what he really impressed on my heart in the time that I spent there was a little clinic that's out in the middle of nowhere, the Kavasara Good Samaritan Health Clinic. And it's nine miles from any other kind of city, and, and city is kind of a, in quotations, in Uganda. Kampala is a great city, but the rest of them are kind of whatever. Uh, you wouldn't, might not call them cities as, as compared to what we have here in the U.S. But the closest one of those is about nine miles, and it's the worst road that I've ever been on in my life to get from that city to where we are. And there's people even further out that come to the, the clinic that we're supporting. But the well over the last year, and just recently, um, we have come together in our missional communities are sponsoring now for the workers that, at the clinic. So they're paying for Jane, the midwife, and that's a huge part of what's going on out there. Is there's a lot of infant mortality. There's a lot of moms that are dying at birth. And these people are out in villages. And if something goes wrong, if it's not a perfect birth, and there's complications, death is usually the result. So we have Jane, Monica, who's a nurse who lives on the site, and then we have Godfrey, who provides security, and he's like, he's just kind of big dude, and uh, but real like soft and gentle, nice guy, and uh, he does security and cleans up. And then Richard, who's kind of the administrator and has a medical degree, um, and if we ever go there with any of you people that are medically trained or whatever, he's who we would work under. Um, you would just work under him and be able to um, minister to people in that way. But anyway, we're sponsoring these people. And so the work at the clinic can't go on without people working at the clinic. And that's what you guys have done. Noel has been able to do that, and the missional community have stepped up to sponsor these people so that the ministry can happen out there. Because otherwise, Pastor James doesn't have money to pay these guys. So either they just do it out of the goodness of their heart, but they have families to feed also. And so you guys have provided us to be able to do that. We've also recently sent money. We're fixing the, the well that they have there. It was broken, so we're fixing that. We're also uh, fixing the solar there. So they have, get this, they have a clinic with two rooms and broken solar. So there's, no, there's not like power lines out there, uh, especially out where they are. Um, they have solar power and it's busted. So a clinic with no power, go figure. It's probably not the most effective clinic in the world. So we're sending the money to fix that. And ultimately, we wanna get medicine. The, the, the shelves are far from stocked with what they need getting the medicine in there and building on and expanding so that people can actually stay there overnight. The one room that they have to actually uh, deal with people in is 
more of like a triage kind of room and you can't really keep anybody overnight there and there's no power anyway so um, we want to expand on that so that people will be able to really start giving birth at this place and we could take care of them and minister them that way now that first mission the first time that I went out there it was definitely a how can we do it well now that piece has been put into place we know where we can serve we know what the future holds for us in Uganda now we got to turn this that corner of getting this stuff out there being on mission, being, t- being those joyful heralds proclaiming the good rule of Jesus. And that's what it's going to look like next time we go. And I'm just excited thinking about, and I invite you guys uh, the next time we have a Uganda meeting to uh, show up and help me think through how can we minister to these people? How can we tell them about Jesus? How can we, um, to these people that have absolutely nothing, they can't, don't even have medical care, so you guys are helping provide even that. They don't have lots of food. And I tell you what, it's so much fun. Um, when we would go out there, and the clinic is pretty far out. And when you go out there, Pastor James was telling me, he's like, Tommy, he's like, some of these guys, people have never seen a white person before, so it's going to be a shock to some of them. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I don't know what that means. I can't even fathom. But so we're going out there, and then he said the word was Mazungu, but the kids sound like they're saying Mujungu. But anyway, that means a white person. He said there's no like racial badness to that. It's just what they say for a white person. So it was so awesome. So you'd be driving out, and maybe Nick and Jesse can speak to this when they were there. They might have experienced this too. But we'd be driving out, and there'd be this huge like playground where the school was, and there's like hundreds of kids out there. And you, all of a sudden, one of them would see me driving by. You can't drive very fast, so we're going pretty slow. And uh, you hear Mojungu, and then the whole place like 300 people, 300 little kids all the way, and it's like, if you've ever wanted to feel like LeBron James or one of those like great athletes, <laughs> go be a white person in Uganda. And um, Carson, if you guys know Carson, that goes here, he usually sits over there, but I don't see him. But uh, he's really expressed um, a desire to go on the next time we go to Uganda. And man, Carson's a big dude, so I can only imagine, like, I just want to see the response to him when we get to Uganda and see these these little people, little, little African dudes, looking up at this monster of a, a white guy, just what that will be like. So if you want to see that too, that's fun. And if you have any skills, like soccer skills, bow staff skills, not bow staff, but um, if you have <laughs> soccer skills, if you can hand out Jolly Ranchers to kids, this, I'm telling you, I was like Santa Claus times a thousand um, when I was in Uganda. And, and at the clinic, right at the clinic, there's a huge field. And so I just brought, up some, brought some balls there, and we started kicking a soccer ball. And within 30 minutes, there were 40 kids playing there. They just forgot about me. They didn't even care about me anymore. They were just kicking this new soccer ball that they had around. And they're pretty amazing, by the way. They're bare feet and just going around me, circles around me. But also, I had these little Jolly Rancher candy. It was like gold. Like It was crazy how much they loved Jolly Ranchers. And you know, Jolly Ranchers are good for us. I, I like Jolly Ranchers. But you can imagine what that tastes like when all you're eating. Like, they're just picking the trees off as they're walking home from school and kind of like, I don't know what they're getting out of it, but it, it didn't look that tasty. Um, but to put a Jolly Rancher on top of that, I'm sure that was pretty amazing. But anyway, so I say all that stuff to encourage you to come with me next time. And our kind of vision for that is hopefully one day, it may not be this next time, but eventually, is for every MC to at least send one representative from their MC. And I know it's not easy and it's a lot of money. Um, and we can talk about the money amongst the leaders, and we can share that with all our other uh, MCs. But 
to have everybody in the MC sponsor one person from that MC and send them so that we can all go catch the fire that I've got so that you can be called the Uganda person for your MC when you come back and are on fire for what God is doing over there in Uganda. And I want you to come with me because, we'll wrap it up here, God has a mission and it's all about Jesus. And it's making disciples, us joyfully proclaiming the good news of Christ for the glory of God. God empowers this mission so we don't go there on our own, in our own power to try to change people's hearts. God's doing that and he's calling a people to himself and he's calling us into that mission. And God has a strategy for his mission, the church. That's why I can't go alone next time. Somebody's got to come with me. If it's just me and Carson, whatever. He's a big dude. He can protect me. But uh, I want more than you. I want just to experience what it's like to be over there and to see what God is doing and the joy that these people have that just have absolutely nothing um, in the world but just have an incredible joy in Christ. I want you guys to experience that and come back and ignite the fire here even more at the well. And finally... As it said there, God is calling a people to himself from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people and every nation so our mission can't fail because it's God's mission. Now, I'm almost done and Reggie's going to set this up, but this has just been so incredible for me and, and I encourage you guys to dig into God's word and just, even it's just one verse, all I had was one verse to go off of here and God can just use his word incredibly to encourage you so I, I highly encourage you guys to do that. But also, so I've had a great time here. But I get to baptize my kid. This is such a, a day of um, joy for me. He's 15 years old. His name's Colton. We'll see a video on him, and Reggie will introduce the whole thing. But uh, this is just, I don't know. It's got to be up there in the top five days of my life. You know, the kid's being born and now being reborn, if you will, or proclaiming that at least. Um, so this is a really cool day for me. I thank you. I'm excited about what God's doing here, what he's doing in Uganda. I hope you guys are excited too. And uh, really join the Uganda group on the, on the, uh, the city. And let's make this thing happen for God's glory and for our joy. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just your goodness towards us, Lord, for um, having mercy on us and in your great sovereignty and your great wisdom that just doesn't seem very wise to us. You've entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation, Lord, and we fall far short of that. And when we think it's all about us, Lord, we get frustrated and we don't know where to turn next, Lord. But help us to just trust you and to know that you're at work, Lord, and to just faithfully go out like lions, Lord, with your word, with your gospel, and know that we don't have to be ashamed because it's what you did. That's the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, and we just get to do that also, Lord. So we thank you for what you're doing, what you have done. I'm just so excited about Colton today, Lord, and that um, he's stepping up and being baptized, Lord. I'm just blown away at your goodness that um, my wretchedness and my wickedness, you've battled through all of that, Lord, and saved my son. Lord, what a, what a gift and what a good and gracious God you are, Lord. So we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.